Now, when I was in high school, I was homeschooled for a couple of years, and I quickly learned that there were some advantages to this. Uh, so I could sleep in a little bit longer in the morning. I could do schoolwork in my sweatpants. And I could do my schoolwork at my own pace as long as I got it all done. But one of the things early on I found that I enjoyed most was that I could make something fresh for breakfast and lunch every day. Especially lunch, I enjoyed that. It was better than the typical sandwich and chips I had brought to school for years. And when I say I made something fresh, I'm not talking about a salad or a bowl of fruit. I mean something hot that I just, just made. I should also mention that I tend to be a creature of habit when it comes to the things that I eat, especially breakfast and lunch. If I find something I like, I'm going to eat that same thing for that meal for days, weeks, months, years sometimes. Anyways, one day when I was homeschooled, I went to the doctor for a checkup, and he ran some blood work. No big deal. And then we were going over that, that blood work together, the doctor and I. He said, okay, this is good, this is good. And they said, okay, you're 17 years old, and you have high cholesterol. He said, why? And I thought to myself, you're the doctor, you should tell me why. And he said, tell me what are the things that you normally eat? I said, okay. I said, every morning I have five scrambled eggs and a bagel and two to six pieces of bacon. Then, and I was excited to tell him this, because this was new for me, I said, then for lunch every day, I grill a hamburger, nice piece of cheese, four more pieces of bacon on top. <laughs> and apparently that solved the mystery for the doctor of the high cholesterol. He then proceeded to rob my joy of bacon by explaining why cholesterol and having high cholesterol is bad, how it can lead to things like high blood pressure and heart disease and all these other things. Then he recommended that if I wanted to live longer, I should have a healthier diet. And I remember leaving the doctor's office that day, realizing that I, I had a choice. I, mean, I could keep doing things my way. I could keep eating half a package of bacon a day. But I realized he was right. Eventually, I'd face some consequences for that. Or I could listen to the direction of the doctor, live a healthier lifestyle, and reap the benefits of that. See, I knew that the doctor's orders were for my good, even if I didn't like them. And you know, as Christians, God has made it very clear how he wants us to live. In the Bible, we find his commands, how we can carry out lives of righteousness, faith, and love. But sometimes we're, we're tempted to go our own way, to indulge in the pleasures of sin. But believers, we need to realize the truth that all of God's commands are for our good. Now, sin might seem pleasant for a season, but the consequences will come. We will reap what we sow. On the other hand, obedience to God will yield a spiritually rich life in which we'll find many blessings from God. The nation of Israel certainly learned some of these things during their time following Joshua. They learned that there are blessings in obedience. We're going to see that this morning together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 13. That's where we're going to be as a church. Joshua 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 179. Page 179. Joshua chapter 13. And as you turn there, just as a reminder, last week, when we were in Joshua chapter 12, we really got a recap 
of all the victories that God had brought to Israel on the eastern side of the Jordan River before they came in the Promised Land and all the victories on the western side that would be in the Promised Land. We saw a recap of these things. Now, chapter 13 really transitions what's going on in the book for us. Before, it's primarily been these accounts of of battle and God's victory. Now, the narrative switches, and we're really going to see a lot from here on out about the division of the land. So let's look together. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old. There are still large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites, from the Shihor River on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron on the north, all of it counted as Canaanite, though held by five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The territory of the Avites on the south. All the land of the Canaanites, from Era of the Sidonians, as far as Aphek, the border of the Amorites. The area of Byblos, and all Lebanon to the east, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions, from Lebanon to Mizrafoth Maim, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So let's stop right here for just a few minutes. There's some things I want us to unpack from these seven verses. But first, you know, I don't know how many people here might know the story of Joshua. And I'm not talking about the book of Joshua. We've been seeing that story together for several months. I mean the story of the man himself. Because we are first introduced to Joshua in Scripture back in Exodus chapter 17. And in that chapter, Moses sends out a young Joshua to lead Israel against an attacking army. On that day, Joshua saw how God can bring miraculous victories to his people. As we continue going in the Bible, we learn that Joshua, from the time of his youth, was Moses' aid. In other words, from a young age... Joshua was serving God by assisting Moses. Exodus 24 tells us that Joshua was the only one to go up Mount Sinai as Moses went to receive the law. In Exodus 33, we find that at the tent where Moses would meet with the Lord, speak to him face to face as one speaks to a friend, we're told in that chapter that when Moses would go back to the camp, it said his young aide Joshua did not leave the tent. You see, Joshua strikes me as someone who always wanted to be where the action was. If God was moving, that's where Joshua was. So it's not really surprising that when God told Moses, hey, send some spies to spy out the promised land, Joshua was one of the spies. When the spies return, a lot of us know the story. The majority of the spies told the people, we can't take the land. Don't listen to what God says. It's too powerful, the people there, not Joshua. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it. We can do exactly what God said. And then when that day came, that Moses' time of leadership was coming to an end, God selected his successor, and that new leader was Joshua. 
Listen to how God described Joshua to Moses. He said in Numbers 27 that Joshua was a man in whom is the Spirit. The Spirit of God was in Joshua. He was a special young man. And I bring all this up because we don't always hear Joshua's personal story. Probably one of the reasons for that is all the details are scattered throughout Scripture. But the reason I wanted to bring up the details is because what we see in Joshua the young man is what we continue to see in Joshua the old man. You see, Joshua as a young man, he was obedient to God. He served God wholeheartedly, faithfully, year in and year out. Then, when God called Joshua to the monumental task of leading an often stubborn nation into the promised land, into battle against all these hostile nations, Joshua obeyed. Joshua wasn't a perfect man, but he was an obedient follower of God. And the first thing that I want us to recognize as a church is that this is how all of God's followers today should be defined. We should be defined by obedience to God, believers. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that our obedience to him, it's evidence of our love for him. Obedience to God's clear call and direction in our lives, to his commands in the Bible, it's a, it's a mark, it's an indicator that someone belongs to the family of God. That doesn't mean that we're perfect people, neither was Joshua. But it means that we strive to obey the Lord like Joshua did. So here in chapter 13, God tells Joshua, he says, uh, hey, you're old now. Okay? And many people estimate that Joshua is between the age of 90 and 100 years old. And God says, look, you're, you're old. There's more battles that are going to be fought in the land, but you're not going to lead all those battles anymore. So that's going to be left to the individual tribes. As for you, I've got another command. You're supposed to divide the land. Tell the tribes what portions of the land to go to. See, Joshua had obediently done one part of what God called him to do. That was to lead the people in the land, lead them into battle. Now, now God says it's time to move on to the next command. Something else I want us to notice as a church is that there was no retirement for Joshua from serving God or obeying him. Joshua was older, but he could still serve the Lord. Just serve the Lord in new ways. He needed to be obedient to do that. Believers understand there is never a time in our lives when we are supposed to stop serving and obeying God. That time will never come. In fact, I am grateful that in this church, First Baptist Church of Oxford, for a number of years, I have been challenged by some members here who have served God for decades and who have no plans to stop that. In fact, this week we're going to have a fish fry in memorial of one of those members who has since gone on to be with the Lord. Many of you knew Robert Word. Robert, when I knew him, Robert... I always remember is that Robert knew that God had commanded all of his people should use their spiritual gifts, their talents, to serve him. And Robert decided he was going to obediently do that. But you know, year after year, as Robert got older, he realized he couldn't do all the things he had done before. The reason he realized he couldn't do all the things he had done before, because we told him he could not do all the things he had done before. We had to beg him to stop climbing on ladders and standing on roofs with leaf blowers. But you know what? Robert was going to serve God. He was going to be obedient, so he just found new ways to do that. Because he wanted to be obedient 
to serve God until the very end. And you want to know something? He was. He was. And that type of obedience is to be a defining characteristic of all God's people. Joshua was obedient to the Lord, and we should be too. But the incredible thing is, believers, as we are faithful to obey the Lord, we will find many blessings from him in our lives. For example, we've really already seen one. I mean, Joshua, he obeyed God, and as a result, he was blessed to know what God's will was for him moving forward. He knew what God wanted him to do. I mean, how many times have we wondered that, Christians? How many times have we said to ourselves, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do right now? Have you ever wondered that? Joshua's blessed to know the answer. God said, this is what you've been doing, now I want you to do this. As we're going to see in a minute, though, Joshua wasn't the only one here blessed by the Lord. So we're going to see that as we pick up in verse 8. First, Joshua's going to need to be obedient now to divide the land. He's going to start with these tribes. Verse 8 says this. The other half of Manasseh, the Reubenites, and the Gadites had received the inheritance that Moses had given them east of the Jordan, as he, the servant of the Lord, had assigned it to them. Just stop right here for just a minute so I can explain what this is saying. These are the main tribes the rest of the chapter deals with. The Levites are mentioned. We're going to talk about the Levites in the coming weeks. These other two and a half tribes, they were the ones that wanted to receive land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. In fact, we talked about them a little bit last week. Uh, before Israel came into the land, into the promised land, they were on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and these two and a half tribes were looking around, and they said, you know, it's kind of nice on this side of the river. But the grass looks nice. We have lots of cattle and sheep. And they said, hey, Moses, we'll take it. This is what we want. We know God's got an inheritance for us over there. This is what we want. The incredible thing is how God graciously granted to give them that land as their inheritance. But first, they had to be obedient to cross over and fight alongside their fellow Israelites. And they did that. These tribes had been obedient. And as a result of that obedience, now they were going to be blessed to receive this land from the Lord. The rest of the chapter describes that land that they received. It's a pretty lengthy description, so I want to give you a snapshot of what God gave them. We'll put this on the screen, and you can see this in your Bible. Verse 9 tells us that the land included the whole plateau of Medaba as far as Dibon. Verse 12 says the whole kingdom of Og and Bashan. By the way, later in verse 30, we're told that included 60 towns. 60 towns. Verse 17 says Heshbon and all its towns on the plateau. Verse 21 says all the towns on the plateau and the entire realm of Sion, king of the Amorites, who ruled at Heshbon. Verse 25 says all the towns of Gilead. Look, the point I'm trying to make is just to look at the highlights so we don't get lost in all the details, God was giving them a lot of land. In fact, we, we've got a map that we can put up for you. I know it's a little hard to see, but as you see that map there, the tribes that we're talking about right now, they're on the, the right side of that map, right? the eastern side of the Jordan River, and those three different sections you see, that was all the land God was given to two and a half tribes. God, God is generous he gives graciously, abundantly to his people things that we don't deserve. 
And he does that purely from his deep love for us. In our deep love for him as his people, we are to seek him out, to praise him, and to obey him. When we don't obey God, we face the consequences for our sin. Israel knew all about that. A few minutes ago, I mentioned when the spies went into the promised land and came back, how ten of them gave a negative report, and Israel listened to those ten. They said, yeah, we don't want to go in there. It's going to be too tough. The enemies are too tough for us to fight. So God said, okay, if you're going to rebel against me, you're going to disobey me, okay, you can stay out of the land. You're going to stay out of the land for decades. You're going to wander around in the wilderness. They had a consequence for refusing to obey God. In fact, when they finally entered into the land, if they failed to follow all God's commands, they faced consequences. You might remember that with the story of Achan, when he disobeyed. And as a result, Israel was left in defeat, confusion, and in misery. But then they saw how when they followed God wholeheartedly, they experienced victories. They experienced miracles. And now they would be blessed to experience a place that they could call home after a long time of wandering around. Church, what I want us to understand here in Joshua chapter 13 is that we have this reminder that as we obey God, we will experience his blessings in our lives. Joshua was obedient. As a result, he was blessed with this close relationship with God and to know God's will for him. Israel was obedient. And as a result, they stepped into the promised land and all this territory God promised to them. And in the same way, we will be blessed when we live obedient lives to the Lord. Now, I need to make something very clear. I am not saying, when I say that God will bless us, I am not saying that God will give you a big house and a big bank account and great health. God might choose to bless you that way. He might choose to, but I'm not going to guarantee you something that is not guaranteed in Scripture. So what does the Bible guarantee us? What does the Bible say we can trust, we will receive as blessings from the Lord when we live obediently? Let me just give you a few. When we live a life of obedience before God, we will be blessed first to know his will in our lives. You can go look at Romans chapter 12 for more of that. We'll be blessed to know his direction in our lives. You can look at Proverbs chapter 3 for that. Next, when we live obediently, our prayers will not be hindered, but instead we'll see God work powerfully through them. There's a lot of places I can point you to see that truth. 1 John chapter 3, James chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 10. When we live obediently to God, we will have a closer walk with him. James chapter 4 talks about that. While you're in James chapter 4, you'll find that when we live obediently, we'll have God's strength in our spiritual battles. The psalmist said in Psalm 34 that God will, when we live obediently, he will deliver us from trouble. I can go on and on. There are a lot of blessings in Scripture to God's people when we live obediently. I haven't even gotten to the eternal rewards for us when we live a life for Jesus Christ. These are just a few blessings for us believers when we live in obedience. However, we need to realize this means when we fail to obey God, we'll fail to experience these things. So does, does God feel distant from you right now in your life, believer? Does he feel far from you? Does his peace seem far off? Does his direction, his will seem unclear? Are your prayers going unanswered? Do spiritual battles feel like they are just constant in your life? Do you feel like you're constantly living in defeat? 
If that's true, if any of these questions, if you would say yes to any of those, then I would encourage you to begin by asking yourself, is there any unconfessed and unaddressed sin in my life? Sin's not always the reason that these things can occur, but many times sin is the reason. We need to examine our lives and ask, is there disobedience that I'm allowing to be present in my life? There's sin that I'm holding on to. I'm just not willing to let go of. Let's not think that we can continue to stand in the blessings of God while wandering off into a world of sin. Even the Israelite tribes, as they stepped into these incredible blessings from God, they needed to realize that all the blessings would fade away if their obedience faded away. You see, God gave them the land as an inheritance. That's true. But God still owned the land. He created it. He can give it as he sees fit. Remember that the people groups who had lived there and persisted in sin, they were being evicted from the land by God, by force if necessary. The same was going to be true for Israel, by the way. God made it very clear to them that if they chose not to live in obedience to him, that the day would come when they too were removed from the land, just like the Canaanites. And if you know anything about Israel's history, if you've continued reading the story of Scripture, you know that the day came when Israel did start living disobediently. In fact, Israel went through many long cycles of sin and idolatry and unbelief to the point that they were eventually described in 2 Kings 21 as doing more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before them in the land. And when that time came and Israel persisted in these things, eventually God allowed the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come in. They defeated Israel and exiled them to other lands. See, make no mistake, God is overwhelmingly generous. He, he's abundant in his grace. He's awesome in his mercy. He showers his blessings on his people when we faithfully follow him. But when we choose to walk in unrepentant sin... We're going to find those blessings fade away. That's when we find that our relationship with him becomes strained. We lose that peace and that joy that he gives. We fail to see his will for our lives. We struggle spiritually in our battles. And if you're finding yourself in that place, believers, realize that when we do, we need to return to the Lord. We confess our sin to him, and then we need to begin living obediently again. Sadly, Many Christians, it seems today, have come to see the commands of God the way that the world does. They see God's commands as unimportant, or outdated, or bigoted, or optional. And many believers who start to see God's commands this way, and then they start to live in sin, they're often the ones who are also found saying, where's God? Where is he in my life? Why don't I feel his presence? Why, why am I not seeing all these things he promised? Where's his peace? Where's his direction? And then we start to blame him for being far from us, and all the while, we're the ones that wandered from him in our sin. Church, we need to realize that God requires obedience from his people, because like a doctor prescribing what's best for us, all of God's commands are about what's best for us. As one pastor put it, you know, when God says, don't do that, God's saying, don't hurt yourself. And when God says, do this, he's saying, help yourself to something good. Help yourself to a blessing that I want to give you. 
Just the other day this week, Casey and I were outside walking with the boys, and my oldest son took off down the sidewalk, ran, running haphazardly all over the place, and I yelled out to him and I said, Judah, you need to slow down, because I know that he is really bad at running really fast. His feet just get ahead of him, can't control it. So I said, slow down, and he took that as a challenge. So he went faster down the sidewalk. And it couldn't have been 10 seconds later that he tripped, he fell, he scraped up both his knees. You see, when I told him don't do that, he, he thought I was trying to ruin his fun, but I, I just didn't want him to get hurt. So then we carried him home, and it took me and Casey 20 minutes to try and convince him why it was important that we clean his knees up and put Band-Aids on. So he thought that that was very unnecessary. But we tried to explain to him, this is, this is for your good that we do this. But the same way that he struggled to understand those things, I think a lot of times we struggle to understand God's commands. We may not always understand why God says don't do this. We may not always understand why God says do this thing. But what we need to understand, believe, blessings of God as we live in obedience to God. We will. We'll experience his blessings when we live in obedience. We need to understand what I'm not saying that obedience to God, and please understand this, I'm not saying obedience to God means that we will have an easy life or a perfect life. In fact, if I meant that, I'd be lying. The Bible actually says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I'm not saying this is about living an easy life. What I'm saying is that when we walk through life God's way, life, we'll avoid the many pitfalls of sin, and we'll start experiencing his goodness. God wants to shower his people with his peace, with his presence his joy, with a knowledge of his will, with a close walk with him and a powerful prayer life. But he also wants us to live obediently. So believers, the question is, does that obedience to God define our lives? We're not going to be perfect. But when we fall, when we fail, do we run back to him for forgiveness? Do we start living obediently again? Is there unconfessed sin in our lives? Are there sins that we've really held on to? Because we're willing to be obedient to God in some things, but not everything. As we prepare to close with a final song, church, I'd really encourage you to evaluate these things in your heart. Is your life defined by obedience to God? And if it's not, don't let this final invitation time just be a time where you sing a song and then leave. Let's be a time where you really go to the Lord in prayer. Where you really confess things to him if you need to. Where you get your heart right with him. Remember the truth in scripture in James chapter 4 that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And before we close, if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your savior, you've never given your life to him, I want you to understand that for Christians, being obedient to God isn't what saves us. No, we're obedient to God because he saved us. Uh, we're obedient to God as a response of his great love for us. And before we close, I just want you to understand God's great love for you. See, the Bible says that there's a problem. The problem is that all of, all of us have sinned. We've all done bad things, broken God's commands. That's what we do when we lie and cheat. 
and steal and lust, take God's name in vain, on and on the list goes. And the reason our sins are so bad is because they're separating us from God. And if those sins aren't taken care of, we're going to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. And the bad news gets worse. Because the Bible says we can't make up for sin on our own. No amount of good works can erase those things. No amount of going to church, prayer, singing songs to God, any of that. We are hopeless on our own. The good news is, despite all the things we've done, God loves, loves you so much, loves this world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus did the thing that you and I can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, because of his perfection, he was able to stand in our place. And when he died on the cross, he was taking our punishment for sin, the wrath that we deserve for those things that we have done. After Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later, powerfully rose from the dead, proving he is who he said he is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the only one who can forgive us of sin. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, please know that you can make that decision before you leave here this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I don't know the hearts of everyone in this room, but you do. And if there's anyone here who's never given their life to Jesus Christ, never received the forgiveness that you offer, the salvation from hell, the eternal life we all need, if there's anyone here who's never received those things, I pray that right now they would go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit that they're a sinner but that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that they would give their life to him. I pray that if there's anyone here that has questions about that, they'd be willing to come and talk to me during this final invitation song or that they'd find me or Pastor Richard or Pastor Brandon before they leave. Father, you also know the hearts of those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. Father, sometimes we don't want to live obediently. We, we welcome sin into our lives and we know it's wrong, so we, we try and work on them, but many times it seems that we keep one or two sins. We cling on to those things. We hope that you'll still bless us. And then we get frustrated when you feel far from us. But the truth is we know that there's sin we haven't repented of. It's things we're holding on to we need to let go of. I pray that you would help us to realize, Father, that your commands, they're for our good. That all your commands are good. I pray that as a result, we would choose to live obedient lives. That when we make mistakes and sin and fall and fail, that we'd run to you for forgiveness and we'd get right back up to living for you. I pray that you'd help us to be a church that loves on one another when someone falls into sin, that knows how to lovingly restore each other in our faith. I pray that you'd be pleased here. And Father, as we leave this place, I pray that you'd be pleased in all of our lives. Help us to live for you, to look for someone we could share the gospel with. And help us to be obedient. Father, we love you. But your constant blessings in our lives remind us that you love us so much more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.